the human brain, the body's most important organ, but also the organ we know the littlest about. It helps us to think, to sense, to feel. It helps us to know that we are alive, but coming with the fact that it is the most important organ, it's also irreplaceable. If our lungs, liver, heart, or kidneys fail us, there is usually some hope that a transplant can save us. Brain transplants, however, seem to only belong in science fiction. But what if you could have a brain transplant? What if the rest of your body was dying and all your brain needed to do to survive was abandon ship? What would happen once your brain woke up in a new body? The idea of reanimating the dead is not, by any means, a new idea. In 1818, Mary Shelley introduced the world to Frankenstein and the idea of what it might be like to bring a body back to life with an entirely new mind. The result, as far as the novel goes, brought us something less than human, with the creation, Frankenstein's monster, responding to words such as creature, monster, and it. Even today, the idea of conducting a brain transplant is considered controversial, with critics arguing that the procedure challenges the very idea of consciousness itself. Even with moral objections firmly in place, this hasn't exactly discouraged scientists from exploring the possibility of a brain transplant. However, transplanting a human brain doesn't exactly exist outside of fiction, but that doesn't apply to animals. One of the earliest known experiments was done by Vladimir Demikov, a Russian scientist who experimented with head transplants, creating briefly living two-headed dogs. Later in the 1970s, American surgeon Dr. Robert White transplanted the head of a monkey onto another's headless body. Although this was not White's first attempt at the controversial procedure, it was one of his more successful ones, with the monkey being able to use its senses until it immune system rejected the foreign head and killed the animal a little over a week after the operation. There have been no documented cases of a brain being transplanted into another body. However, this full head transplant is a lot more likely, a lot more obtainable. While White was never able to do more than a few briefly successful head transplants, Chinese doctor Xiaoping Ren has attempted to find the secret behind the tricky operation. By 2015, Ren had created over 1,000 hybrid mice by removing and switching their heads. After the 10-minute operation, the mice would be able to breathe, move, blink, and even eat on their own. Using tiny tubes to carry oxygenated blood from the brain to the new body, the mice would live tragically short lives, dying only a few minutes after the operation was complete. Wren believes that his research, though unsuccessful, is the key to understanding how to one day successfully operate on human spinal cords. However, many of Wren's critics hope that day never comes. Dr. Hunt Batcher, president-elect of the American Association for Neurological Surgeons, said, I would not wish this on anyone. I would not allow anyone to do it to me, as there are a lot of things worse than death. What could he have meant by that? How could a brain transplant possibly be worse than death? Is he just simply trying to discourage medical advancements? Or is there possibly a colossal downside lurking in the shadows? 
Although experts cannot say for certain, it is widely speculated that if you were to transport a human brain into another body, the identity of the new body would belong to the donor of the brain. However, some also believe that the shock and disorientation caused by the aftermath of the surgery could continue to alter the personality of the brain donor, creating an entirely new person. If a brain transplant resulted in the creation of an entirely different person, couldn't that also be considered a form of death? And how would this kind of operation impact loved ones on both sides of the issue? How does the family react to their loved one looking entirely different? Or how would the grieving process be changed if their deceased loved one woke up and could walk and talk, but no longer had the same mind, no longer had an interest in associating with their family anymore? Perhaps this idea of personhood comes from the fact that we know very little in regards to how the brain works. While we do know that the brain is deeply interconnected, containing all of our bodily actions while still taking cues from the rest of our body, as well as the world around us and interpreting them, we don't know much about how the brain stores our memories, as well as what it means to be conscious. But is the brain the only thing that holds our personality and makes us who we are? One theory, known as the cellular memory theory, challenges this idea. The theory speculates that human body cells contain clues to our personalities, tastes, and histories independently of either our genetic code or our brain cells. So in theory, the recipient of a donated organ may be susceptible to inheriting some of the personality traits of the donor. While the theory has not been proven to be 100% validated, some scientists and physicians are testing these ideas. One organ that is thought to be prone to cell memory is the heart. In Vienna, Austria, 47 heart transplant patients were examined over a two-year period, and while the majority said they experienced no mental repercussions following the surgery, 15% did say they experienced a noticeable change in their personality, while 6% said that they could undoubtedly confirm drastic changes in their personality for no explained reason. Apart from identity, surgeries such as brain transplants can raise more questions, such as those over ownership. For instance, if the transplant were to be successful in a male patient, and they were later to have children, would those children be biologically his? Just because the identity of the person changes doesn't mean that the makeup of the rest of the body does. Bioethics and regenerative medicine expert Dr. Christopher Scott speculates that not only would the body not truly be the recipient, recipients, but that neither brain nor body would belong to either party. The question posed was, is this a person that the body belongs to or the person the head belongs to? It is a chimera, a hybrid person. Even if you were to survive a surgery with your identity still intact, would your sanity be intact as well? Some in the medical field believe that even if a head or brain transplant were possible, creating moving, breathing, talking life, the effect the experience would have on the mind could be devastating. And considering that those who do experience traumatic experiences are susceptible to changes in their brain, including shifts in intelligence, emotional reactivity, happiness, and sociability, at best the mind may be altered forever. At worst, the person goes insane. Dr. Paul Myers, Associate Professor of Biology at the University of Minnesota, has explicitly been against such procedures, largely because of the potential effect it would have on the health of the mind. Dr. Myers stated confidently that even tests were futile. 
The result would be, at best, a shambling horror, an animal driven mad with pain and terror, crippled and whimpering. Even if the transplant were possible, similar issues that could be faced during and after the procedure can be seen in one of science's latest miracles, face transplants. Levels of anti-rejection medications required for the procedure are so high that they put patients at risk for cancer and kidney issues. Patients also have a hard time getting full function of their new face, making the idea of a much more complicated brain transplant even more of an improbability. So with all that being said, brain and head transplants are far away, right? Well, not as far as you might like to think. In 2015, Italian surgeon Sergio Canavero announced that he would perform the first ever human head transplant, removing the heads of two bodies and rejoining them to the opposite bodies. Canavero plans to remove the head of a living person with a dying body and attaching it to the body of a recently deceased person whose body is in relatively good health. The operation, costing over 16 million American dollars, would call for over 36 hours of surgery, requiring a team of over 150 medical professionals, 80 of them being surgeons, to remove the head and fix it on to a new body. In order to perform the surgery, Canavero would need to cool the body to a low temperature, 10 degrees Celsius to be exact, before decapitating and reattaching, fusing the nerves of the spinal cords with a small electric shock and a substance called PEG. Afterwards, the patient would be placed in a coma for almost three weeks to reduce muscle movement, followed by months of rehabilitation, some of it possibly under virtual reality, in order to have the patient acclimated to their new body. The severe mental strain from waking up in a body you have never used is a dangerous proposition, after all. Despite the hefty price tag and the harsh criticism surrounding the Italian doctor, Canavero has already found a subject, Russian graphic artist Valery Spirinidov. Spirinidov suffers from severe muscular dystrophy, causing him to have been bound to a wheelchair all of his life. If the surgery goes well, it will be the first time the 31-year-old has ever walked Due to the controversy surrounding the operation, the procedure will take place in China, with Canavero hoping for it to happen as early as 2017. So are we likely to see a full brain transplant in our lifetime? No, we're not. However, full head transplants are potentially possible. However, who knows exactly what we're going to see? Who knows what's really, truly possible? However, there's one fact, of course, it's that possible doesn't mean ethical. With concerns still surrounding some transplants, while others are now considered common, our perception of what is natural and should remain uninfluenced by man continues to blur and change. But the facts are that transplants have saved countless lives. A successful one offers a person a more fulfilling life, allowing those who would have otherwise surely died an escape from the threat of premature death. But one perspective believes that while delaying premature death is okay, delaying it at all costs, sometimes that the possible sacrifice of quality of life is a crime against nature. Reanimating a dead corpse 
is like people playing God. But aside from moral objections, think of what a successful procedure like a brain transplant could do for some of our greatest minds. Although brain transplants wouldn't allow us to be immortal by any means, since the brain ages like any other organ, the procedure would allow geniuses to continue their work and continue changing the world for the better. Imagine in what ways the world might be different if Albert Einstein lived another 10 years. Well, perhaps this isn't the best example. When offered surgery that would have possibly saved his life, he actually turned it down and said, I want to go when I want. It is tasteless to prolong life artificially. I have done my share. It is time to go. I will do it elegantly. And he died the next morning. But aside from geniuses, imagine all the people that it could help. An escape from cancer, not a cure by any means, but it is another option. And now is the point where I questioned you. I asked on my Twitter if a brain transplant were to be 100% successful, guaranteed, and full consent was given by both parties, do you agree with the idea of transplanting one person's living brain into the dead body of another person? 3,380 of you voted. 34% said that brain transplants are acceptable under any circumstances. 27% said that they are unsure. Another 27% said that brain transplants are acceptable only as a last possible resort for survival and all other options have been exhausted. And the remaining 12% said that it is never an acceptable option and that it is unethical. So what do you think? Are brain transplants an exciting step into the future? Or is it just another way that humanity's going to play God and lose? Be sure to leave your thoughts in the comments section below. And of course, remember, if you want to learn anything, you have to question everything. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Memories, ladies and gentlemen, they play a very important role in our lives. Our memories, whether recent or distant, are a record of our lives. They make us who we are, but not all memories are happy ones, and some can even haunt us for years, sometimes the rest of our lives, and they can feel as vivid as the day the events happened. And though time can heal some wounds, the memories usually remain fresh. But what if you could one day wake up and those offending memories were gone, or perhaps changed? Would it truly be as good as it sounds? The idea of erasing memories perhaps has never been depicted in any movie as well as it was in the 2004 film Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet play Joel and Clementine, two unlikely lovers who enter into a relationship only to attempt to erase each other from their memories after a bad separation. This film put a controversial idea in motion. Can emotional torment be avoided by erasing memories? And is erasing memories only a poor attempt 
attempt to alter what will inevitably remain unchangeable. The idea of erasing memories seems pretty far-fetched, but is it really? Perhaps the reason the idea seems so novel to us is because the brain where our memories are stored is still a relative mystery in many ways, including how our conscious works. While science is continuing to learn more and more about how memories are stored and retrieved, the general public knows very little about what memories really are, as well as how fragile they are. In a recent study, most Americans seem to believe that our memories work like a video camera, actively and accurately recording what we see and hear for us to inspect later. The only way that this video footage is distorted is through disease, trauma, or old age. Memories play a large part in who we are, as well as how we act as a society. For example, our criminal justice system depends largely upon memories, using factors like confessions and witness testimonies in deciding cases. But our minds are far more complex than a simple video recorder, and they are subject to unwilling change. Like video footage, our memories can be manipulated and altered much of the time without our wanting it, making what we remember yesterday, one year ago or ten years ago, hard to really trust. In fact, this malleability of our memories has been the center of many discussions in our judicial system on how effective one's recollection of events really is. In a recent study, psychology professor Julia Shaw tested 60 undergraduate students, none of whom had ever committed any form of crime as a juvenile, and recorded their perception of their memories after being fed false memories, claiming that they had committed crimes as children. During three different interviews, subjects were presented with a real memory that they had disclosed along with one false memory. One third of the students were told they had committed assault, another third was told that they had committed assault with a weapon, and the rest had been told that they had committed theft, all between the ages of 11 and 14. After the test had concluded, 50 of the 60 students believed and confessed to committing these crimes that never actually occurred with 44 of them giving exact detail as to how the false events played out, believing them to be real. This happened as well in a real-life case in which Eileen Franklin accused her father, George Franklin Sr., of killing her friend Susan K. Nelson over 20 years ago. Believing to have repressed memories, Eileen believed her father had murdered her childhood friend, raped her, and bashed in the 8-year-old skull with a rock. George was sentenced in 1990 and was not released from prison until 1996 when the defense brought forth the testimony of George's sister who claimed to have hypnotized Eileen and implanted false memories. Although psychologists still heavily debate the validity of repressed memories, being that the mind will store away traumatic events from a person's consciousness, cases such as this further prove that our memories are hard to pinpoint as well as hard to understand the truth from what we perceive to be the truth. So what do we know about memories? Could they ever be fully erased or only altered? The reason we have memories is because memories are our brain's way of filtering the mass amounts of information we're flooded with daily, from sensory memories to short-term memories. When certain information is repeated, our brain considers specific information to have a meaningful association. Our brain takes those short-term memories and consolidates them into long-term memories. Our long-term memories are the reason you may remember a song you heard frequently as a child and can still sing along with it after hearing it for the first time in many years, or the reason we remember 
remember big events in our lives, such as graduation or family vacations. Physiologically, the establishment of long-term memory involves a process of physical changes in the neurons of the brain, in a process called long-term potentiation. Although we can't answer all of our questions about how this process works, we can say, at its simplest, that when our brain receives information, circuits of neurons in the brain are formed. As these neurons are created, altered, and strengthened, these circuits communicate with one another through synapses, or junctions, in the brain. But what if these synapses were altered? What would that do to our memories? In 2007, Professor Yadin Dudai of the State University of New York conducted an experiment on trained rats that were previously taught to avoid certain tastes. They hypothesized that if the rat's taste cortex was altered, the rats would resume their original behavior, abandoning what they had learned throughout their time in the original study. By injecting the animals with a drug that would block a protein, they were able to reverse these synapses in the rat's brain, causing them to reject their long-term memory of avoidance and effectively undo the original changes. Unlike our everyday impressions that we can easily forget, long-term memory decays very little over time and can seemingly be stored in unlimited amounts in the brain. What Dadai and his team learned during their experiment is that although these well-ingrained long-term memories can be stored in abundance, they have to be maintained. Our brain is, in essence, a miniature machine that has to continue the ongoing process of maintaining those inscriptions in our nerve network in order to maintain the memory. As soon as something can jam the machine, the memory ceases. Some scientists believe that we're on the verge of not only being able to alter memories, but erase them entirely. And while this may seem like a major breakthrough in psychological therapy, some question the costs of such a procedure. Dr. Hank Greenlee from the Stanford University of Medicine predicts that within 10 to 20 years, we will be able to pinpoint and delete specific memories entirely. However, Greenlee does not consider this to be an entirely good thing, despite what methods like this could do for people who have experienced major amounts of trauma in their lifetime. Our memories make up who we are, Greenlee said. If they are truly lost or changed, we may become different people. So what happens if we're allowed to pick our scary or sad memories and erase them? Is there a downside to this at all? It all goes back to how our brains process information. When we encounter something that causes us to feel afraid or sad, our brain takes these memories and stamps them as significant, storing them away for the future. For example, if a situation or thing causes you to feel fear, your brain can process how to react to that thing in the future, possibly for your safety. In short, your brain takes your experiences and catalogs them so you'll have a reference on how you're supposed to deal with an encounter of a similar situation in the future. Without these experiences, we can potentially lose our understanding of how to cope with certain things we may come in contact with, and therefore only increase the chances of us making the same mistake twice. But what if the experience was so devastating, so traumatic, that it inhibits activities of daily living? For sufferers of post-traumatic stress disorder, the idea of simply living with their trauma is a nightmare, causing many to feel trapped within their own memories, unable to feel normal again. Although we aren't quite to the point where we can erase these memories, science has found a way to erase the feelings that are associated with them. 
For a woman named Brenda, the idea of living with her PTSD had become unbearable. Having been sexually abused from the ages of 3 to 12, Brenda, who in her interview with NPR was only referred to by her first name for privacy reasons, had undergone weekly therapy sessions for over 35 years and had never been able to shake her suicidal thoughts. After a friend referred her to an experimental therapist, Brenda began to finally overcome the long-held feelings of shame and responsibility she had carried from her experiences. After six months of seeing a new physician, Brenda was given a drug that would help her relax and discuss the events to help her move past them. The drug was MDMA, or as it is more commonly known sometimes, ecstasy. In recent studies, it was shown that 83% of PTSD sufferers who had taken the drug during their therapy sessions experienced more genuine recovery from their PTSD as exposed to those who had gone through the therapy without it. This is because MDMA releases serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin into the brain, allowing the patient to relax and trust their therapist with their stories. So after these six months, Brenda's suicidal thoughts had gone away, and she began to separate the traumatic feelings she had felt from the experiences she had gone through. She also found that with these feelings now gone, she was able to have a firmer grasp on reality and the present. My dad died in 1995, she said, and it wasn't until session three of the MDMA trial where I really believed he had died. And perhaps therapy, a treatment within our reach right now and has been for quite some time, will remain the best option. Erasing memories outright brings many more concerns into play. If a person is raped by a stranger and they have that memory erased, they would be unable to identify or testify against their rapist. And if that rapist went uncaptured, how would the person who was raped know to avoid that person if they encountered them in the future? Or what if a person who unintentionally killed someone was able to have those memories erased? Would it be as ethical to sentence them to prison if they had positively no memory? memory of ever committing the crime, or could that be considered cruel and unusual punishment? Can you still as effectively punish a person who has no idea of what they've done? If victims of crimes can erase memories, would that prevent more criminals from being caught? And in turn, would that create more victims? Now is the time where I questioned you on my Twitter. I asked, if you could erase certain memories, would you? Here is what you said. 28% of you said that you would erase certain memories due to the pain they cause. 46% of you said absolutely not, and that memories, good or bad, make you who you are. 19% of you said you weren't sure, and the remaining 7% said you would like to erase all memories and start over entirely. So what do you think? Is erasing or changing memories a positive step towards recovery, or is it a double-edged sword that will prove to be more negative than anything else? As always, if you want to learn anything, you have to question everything. The ability to remember is a priceless gift. A gift you can lose. Henry Malaisen's story proves the importance of helmets. Henry was born in Connecticut in 1926 and at around nine years of age got into an accident on his bicycle. He fell to the ground and cracked his skull and, as a result, began experiencing seizures. 
As time went on, his seizures became worse and worse. When Henry was a teenager, he became vulnerable to tonic-clonic, sometimes known as grand mal seizures. This caused episodes of violent convulsions. It was decided that in 1953, Henry would undergo brain surgery to stop the seizures. The operation produced good and bad results. The good results were that Henry's seizures were finally fixed. The bad, however, was that now he suffered from severe and moderate cases of amnesia. After the surgery, Henry had an entirely new level of hardship to deal with. He couldn't remember most events that occurred one to two years before the surgery, and also demonstrated difficulty recalling some things up to 11 years before the surgery. Aside from this, he could no longer commit new events to his explicit memory, which is responsible for conscious and intentional recollection, like remembering an appointment or a certain event. He could no longer intentionally remember things. That being said, his implicit memory was still intact, meaning he could still learn things. He just couldn't remember learning them. It was believed that Henry lived moment to moment. Some sources claim that his new memory would be wiped entirely clean every 30 to 60 seconds. He lived the rest of his life that way until he died in 2008. It may seem like a story ripped away from the movie Fifty First Dates, but I assure you, this is the real version. Michelle Philpott's story began in 1985 when she was involved in a motorcycle accident which caused a head injury. Five years later, misfortune again found her when she got into a car accident, again subjecting her brain to more trauma. As time went on, as a result, Michelle began to struggle with her memory. She was eventually released from her job when she was found spending the entire day photocopying the same document. Her memory continued to degrade and now she has no short-term memory at all. Each day's events are wiped out as she sleeps and when she wakes, she believes things are just how they were when the amnesia took hold of her. She believes the year is 1994. Since that time, she has surprisingly been able to formulate a relationship with the man and even got married to him. Every day, he has to show her their wedding album to prove that they're married. Michelle also uses hundreds of post-it notes to remind her of things on top of regularly writing things down, like people she meets or things she has to do. Through these hardships, Michelle has maintained her sense of humor, however, claiming that she has never seen the same TV show twice, and she'll always laugh at a joke as if it's the first time she's ever heard it. Benjamin Kyle was once known more simply as the Burger King. This was because in 2004, Benjamin was found outside of a Burger King restaurant in Richmond Hill, Georgia. Completely naked with a rash covering his body, sunburn, and a head injury, he was only partially conscious and unresponsive to police. But this was only the beginning of a very strange story. It took weeks for him to fully wake up. Hospital staff asked for his name and he answered with Benjamin, based off of his memory. However, for his last name, he had completely forgotten it, but adopted the last name Kyle based on the name the hospital assumed for him. He had woken up with cataracts which remained for months until Charity raised enough money for them to be removed. When he finally looked at himself in the mirror with clarity, he discovered that he was 20 years older than he believed he was. 
The following years were hard for Benjamin as he tried to live in a world without a memory. He spent time making next to no income. A nurse who was concerned for him helped to support him financially while he made around $100 a month doing things like yard work. He pursued many ends to figure out his story. While bits and pieces came back to him, he still had no idea who he truly was before that night he was discovered. Searches by FBI, military, and other government agencies through fingerprints, DNA, missing persons networks, and more rendered nothing. Benjamin has been in numerous newspapers, on television news, and was even featured on Dr. Phil and still has no answers. No one has come forward. He remembers nothing more. As of January of 2015, he was living in a small shack courtesy of someone who saw his story on television and felt badly for him. He washes dishes for a living. As Benjamin's story goes on, there seems to be more questions than answers. He has recently given up trying to search for his true identity and has cut contact with those attempting to solve the mystery for him. That's all for now. Be sure to watch your head on the way out. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow the Seriously Strange podcast so you don't miss what we've got in store for you. Watch the shadows and stay alive out there. Thanks to all of you for your support. The Seriously Strange podcast is made possible due in part to contributions made by our listeners like you. So if you would like to keep the Seriously Strange podcast online and accessible, please consider pressing the link that says support the show in the description of any podcast episode. You can then choose your preferred way to donate and send a contribution our way, because we can't do this without our listeners' support. If you decide to contribute, it's tremendously appreciated, and we thank you so much. We read every single message included with each contribution, so feel free to include your comments or even make a request for a future topic. Thanks for listening. We've got a lot more in store for you. Take care, and enjoy your next episode.